Hey everybody, we are back. Once again, it's been a long time. It's always a long time. You can always just expect us to take large breaks in between podcasts, I guess. Oops. Um, just a lot's happened. Um, we went on vacation. Yeah. Christmas break. We did Christmas the whole happened. Boston, New York thing. Took the kids to a Celtics game. Our oldest had to have an emergency surgery while we were up there. <laughs> That's always a fun time. Uh, I won't get into the details, but uh, it was it was interesting. Yeah, I lost my wallet. Yeah, you lost your wallet the night we were leaving Boston to go to New York. Uh, but we salvaged the trip. Uh, we had money. We were fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jaden was good to go. He was a little sore. We had to take the subway a lot more than maybe we normally would and wouldn't mm-hmm. walk around New York as much. But we did it. Still had a good vacation. Got home. Did our Christmas Eve service at church. Then had Christmas. And, yeah. And that was it. Been a whirlwind. Yeah. It was like three weeks of just not doing anything but running around yeah Yeah, just busy family but uh yeah that's not necessarily an excuse why we haven't done a podcast (laughs) but uh you know just life comes at you and once again we've just been kind of focusing on small um short form content over long form content even though we break this into short form so once again not an excuse but um (laughs) I also know last time we promised we were going to do a Matrix podcast and we will do that it is high (laughs) on my list of things to do um if I'm being honest, we just have not had time to sit down and, and watch, watch any of the movies. We yeah. just have not had time. So it's, um, what day is it? It's January 8th for us now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so hopefully we'll be able to slow down. Your birthday's at the end of the week. So maybe after the end of <laughs> this week, we'll be able to slow down. Yeah. And uh, finally sit down and watch those movies. You're turning 30. Woo-woo. You feel old? Uh, no. Yeah, I don't either. It's weird. I try to explain to people. I'm like, I feel the same like men- mentally, even though I know so much has happened, like I know I'm a lot more mature than when I was like 18 or 21 or, sure. but like even from when we got married 21 to now, mentally, for some reason, I feel exactly the same. <laughs> I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. I mean, like I said, I feel wiser and I know like I'm a lot more experienced in life and a lot of different aspects. I don't know, but I feel the same. I mean, yeah, I don't know you, if that's you normal or got not. your master's on your way to your doctorate. Hopefully you're a little wiser. <laughs> Hopefully. You might be the dumbest person with a doctorate, I'm telling you. I doubt it. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of dumb people out there who can, who can write a paper. But uh, yeah, so we're here and uh, we're finally starting to catch our breath, like I said. Mm-hmm. Well, Riley's birthday is at the end of the month. <laughs> it's never ending. So maybe once February rolls around, we won't like have things yeah, to do. Yeah, we just need to like get back into a routine and be a little more consistent, I think. Yeah. yeah. New Year's resolution, baby. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm not about making those. I know. But uh, yeah, so we will get to those Matrix podcasts, I promise you. Uh, like I said, I'm not sure if we're going to do it in like two or three parts, how we want to do that. But we'll definitely have to break it up because we can't cover all the movies in one sitting. There's yeah. just too much content, uh, especially if we're going to do the Animatrix with it. So uh, yeah, we will get to that. What I thought we'd talk about today, and we can kind of slowly roll into this. Um, we grew up. I would say hyper evangelical, even though we lived about 1200 miles away, uh, had very similar experiences with how the evangelical world, um, treats people. You know, we've talked about on this podcast, just how the church system, especially in the evangelical world, uh, can hurt people, bully people, disregard people, all the things. Um, I think something I, in a lot of ways, feel like I've put on my big boy pants as far as like exiting out of the evangelical world. Um, I am, I, I'm not even gonna say 99%, like 100% of me is like, I'm never going back. You couldn't yeah. pay me to go back. Yeah. And that's normally how they get me to go back is with money, but <laughs> they can't pay me to go back. Like, I've just seen too much. We've had too many bad experiences. And I think we've just seen way too many people go through the ringer outside of us. Which sucks because um, I don't know if you feel this way or if people at home feel this way, but I feel like I can be a lot more resilient to things. Like when someone's being mean to me or rude, like I can be okay. But when I see it happening to someone else, I get a lot more defensive. And I think that's probably my like Enneagram 8 kicking in. Um, 
And so for me, it's like, I feel like I could take a lot more abuse and put up with it from the evangelical world. But when I see it happening to like friends or family or just people I know, uh, even just people who comment on like the TikTok and Instagram and, and YouTube and stuff, when I hear their stories, I'm like, man, that sucks. Like I get so much more upset for them than I mm-hmm. do for myself. Yeah. And I feel like, and maybe this is just the the evangelical still trying to leave mm-hmm. my body. I feel like I kind of deserve it in, in a way because, um, you know, my experience is probably a little different than uh, I would say most evangelicals only because I've been paid 90% of my time in the evangelical world. Sure. As a worship pastor, uh, as a college pastor, all kinds of stuff. So I, I've always kind of been in service of that world. So it's like, yeah, it sucked, but at least I was collecting a paycheck. For a lot of people, it just sucks. and <laughs> There's yeah. no money. In yeah. fact, they're giving their money. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. um, so I feel like I get a little more defensive on behalf of other people than I do myself. One thing that I think I'm finally ready to shed or have been like ready to shed, especially since we are in a whole new church experience now, um, is that political kind of baggage that I've been hanging on to. And um, that's what we're going to talk about today. Like I said, we're going to kind of soft roll into this. I want to talk about like the evangelical world, politics. Jesus, religion, like how it's all clumped together right now and how gross and yucky it is. Uh, I put out a video today on our TikTok just talking about uh, some stuff that Trump talked about and, and that he's doing, and we'll get into that later. But I think for me, I have been so gun shy to talk about politics with anyone <laughs> outside of like you and I and maybe a couple of other people that I know that we're just close with. It The politics for me has not been a safe space. Um, being an evangelical, because I would say probably since I turned like 18, which this is probably pretty common, I have largely disagreed with the conservative platform, politically speaking. And growing up in an evangelical world, collecting an evangelical paycheck, being on evangelical stages, yeah, quote unquote, careful. mentored by evangelical pastors you can't have anything but a conservative stance. And so the only option for me was to have a silent stance when it was brought up, just ha ha, yeah, yeah. like just defer, like just don't sure. talk about it. Um, because I just didn't disagree with it. I find myself even today, um, even though we're not in those circles anymore, being very hesitant and silent uh, about any political affiliations or concepts that I may have outside of our very tight knit circle, which is only a couple of people. Um, Because I think I've just been so like guilted and shamed from that evangelical world where I'm still, I I feel it like deep down, I'm still afraid to have an opinion Mm -hmm. because I know for the majority of my life, it would come with repercussions. Sure. So I've just not... Uh, publicly had an opinion about politics at all. We'll go, we'll vote, you know, like we do and take our we voted pictures, but there's we'll <laughs> never say anything about it. You know, yeah. we just haven't really touched it. Um, even with the chaos that was four years ago and eight years ago now. I mean, uh, you know, Trump was elected almost eight years ago. Right? Like, it's Jeez. crazy how fast it moves. Yeah, yeah. So 2016, Trump gets elected. And then Jeez, yeah. I would say, so most of 2015, you know, we, we went through that political cycle. Yeah. He gets elected 2016. Then we have four years of Trump and then all the crazy that came with that. Then you have the 2020 election. Biden wins. Trump disputes it. January 6 happens. It's yeah, all crazy. Nightmare. And now we're here again, 2024. And it looks like... it. Unless something crazy happens with the indictments and with him basically getting sent to jail and or getting disqualified, it looks like it's going to be a Trump and Biden runoff again. Um, And we'll get into that a little bit more. But if you think about it, so from 2015 till 2024 now, we've been in this political chaos vacuum here in the States. Um, I don't remember it being this crazy before all that. Um, I know the evangelicals hated Obama. I literally remember hearing <laughs> sermons preached in the church oh, I attended, say, like like a quote-unquote deep dive into why Obama was the Antichrist and using Obama. scripture to prove it. Love like, that. I saw that from platforms. Um, and so, obviously, 
you know, during that time being young, collecting a paycheck from that world, I couldn't say anything, you know? Yeah. Just sitting there thinking like, this is crazy. This is insane. I remember one of my first experiences um, with the church um, and politics, I guess I'll just say, was um, I was in high school when Obama was, um, I don't know, I guess it was a second term. Mm -hmm. And um, actually his first and second. So in 2008, I guess was his first, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um I had been in a neighborhood, my friend's neighborhood, and I took a picture with an Obama sign, and I just put a thumbs up. I was like an eighth grader, and I said, like a thumbs up picture. And the next day at church, I got freaking grilled for it. By by who? Uh, another girl in youth, like a high schooler. Okay, she's but it was the with the with the the same view, sure, like as the parents. You know what I mean? Like, how could you like? support a person like that i'm like i am in eighth grade <laughs> right i don't know what you, or i guess probably just a freshman just beginning high school yeah, like you don't have a political stance really at that no age. no 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 but i remember like it being such an issue and i was like sure. why am i getting yelled at right now right yeah that was yeah. my first experience so it is i mean i i do think there's I don't know if someone who had a, a different political stance other than conservative, or I would even say hyper-conservative, could even last long enough in the evangelical world to even get bullied. You know what I'm sure. saying? I think after a certain point, that person would just tap out and be like, I don't belong here. Or they would just force that person out. Sure. Uh, because you don't belong there. Um, out of all the evangelical churches I've been to, I've never heard anything other than a hyper-conservative stance. And we'll get into yeah. why those reasons are. But I say all that to say I'm finally coming to the place where I realize, like, uh, it's like I'm not in an abusive place anymore. Like, I'm not in a culture of people who are going to beat me up for having a different opinion on that. Yeah. And we actually have uh, friends and people we go to church with now who aren't overly obnoxious or even vocal about it, but we know that they have a different political stance than conservative. Yeah. And um, it's refreshing <laughs> yeah. because it does seem like at least where we're attending church now that there's a balance that, and, yeah. and what's yeah. even more interesting is that not only is there a balance of conservatives, independents, liberals, but they're coexisting mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like there's much infighting, at least now oh. where we're at. I, you know, we haven't gone through a political cycle sure. here, so we'll see what that Might looks hear like. Some. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but it is interesting that um, we're in a place where those things seem to be able to coexist. And I have to remind myself, even though I have zero plans of like jumping on any soapboxes or like having a platform, politically speaking, I'm now having to remind myself that it's okay to have an opinion. When people ask, you can say, oh, yeah, I don't really share that view. Um, Because before that was just, there's no way I could have. Yeah. Um, And mostly because money would have been on the table. Yeah. You know, I, I literally think had I said at the past, you know, three, maybe four churches I've worked for, if I did not have a hyper conservative stance, politically speaking, um, I don't think I would have had a job there much longer. Yeah. And that's all I would have had to say. I I wouldn't even have to deep dive into why my stance is or what my stance is. If it just didn't align with theirs, I am almost positive I would not have had a job there. So it literally was a choice between not having a political opinion and putting food on the table for my family. Yeah. It almost seems like a lot of the evangelical like circles that I guess I've been in just assume they know your like political affiliation and they will talk to you like that that you agree like they just automatically think you agree so they're like yeah how about those blah 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 like they'll just say something really off colored and you're like "Mm." when when we were pastoring at the uh newport ritchie campus now this was a presbyterian church so not um evangelical but the presbyterian church that we we had an offshoot in a more, um, I guess you could say, urban community, kind of low-income area. Sure, yeah, yeah. But the main church, the main campus was in a well-to-do, upper middle class to upper class, yeah. predominantly white church. Yeah. So you could see a lot of them sliding towards that conservative uh, slant. And I there was multiple times where I had people come up to me as the pastor of this secondary campus and just start spouting crazy conservative stuff. 
like, oh, you know that Obama and, you know, it's like, what do you say? And I'm just like, yeah, like, sure. Like, yeah. Like, once again, just having to like nod and smile because I know I I knew I couldn't present any other alternative uh, opinion because it would just be chaos and potentially cost me my job. (laughs) And it wasn't worth it, you know. And even still, like, it's still not that worth it to me. Like, I'm... That I, there's some we have some friends that are on social media who are like these political social media justice warriors. <laughs> and I'm just like, I get it, man. Like, I get why you have the stances you have. And I may even agree with a lot of them. But like, you're just posting stories. Just stop. Just yeah. calm down. Like, go go volunteer somewhere. Yeah, go yeah, do yeah. something yeah. other than just being outraged 24-7. Yeah. I think like uh, politics, regardless, can be a very hostile topic conversation like within families um within you know like and me being like with the job i have i'm not talking politics sure just you know kind of like you wouldn't in the church world for your sake even though a lot of the like people who went there would but well it is very interesting though because i mean you're a teacher so you're employed by the state i think technically so yeah you can't yeah. legally bring any of your religious opinions into or political, or, or political opinions into what you're doing. Right. right. And that makes sense. Uh, the church and pastors actually don't have those restrictions. Now we can't tell people who to vote for from the platform, but we can have opinions on those right. things. Uh, and we can uh, on a personal level, share those opinions. I mean, with we people. can have opinions. Sure. But I'm not, I won't even like post really. Right. right like right. it's not worth it. Yeah. Somebody could find you just with the kind of job and, I have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but what is interesting is you can do your job, right? You can teach reading, writing, I mean, yeah. you teach kindergarten, so the, yeah. uh, maybe middle but school and older. high school is a little different, sure. more different. But um, you could do your job effectively without bringing that into the mix. What is interesting about the political and religious world is that um, there is going to be some overlap because there's just social issues at work. And so when people say, hey, this politician is for and or against this thing particular item they're going to come to church and say okay what does the bible have to say about that sure how did jesus view that how does my pastor view that how does my church community view that so there will be some overlap uh and unfortunately a lot of the evangelical churches uh don't leave any room we've talked about this to death don't leave any room for critical thought it is our way or the highway this is why um And there's a lot of history to that that I don't necessarily want to dive into right now of like how the evangelicals got there, why they believe the things they believe. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, it's it's very few hot button issues. Um, And the Republican Party today doesn't even really resemble the Republican Party of 20 years ago, much less 50 years ago. It's it's a it's almost I don't want to say it's a 180, but there's some drastic differences um, and I'll just come out and write and say it. I, I, I don't consider myself like a hardcore Democrat, but I do hold a large amount of, I guess you would say, progressive views. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sold on a particular party or candidate. It's just I know what I don't want so much, <laughs> which is the conservative side of things, that it almost just funnels me into the the quote unquote democratic or liberal side of things, just because I can't go with that other side. Yeah, I just can't. Yeah. Uh, now, fifty years ago, maybe it would have been a little different, um, but it's not. You know, yeah. we're in this hole. So that's kind of what I wanted to do tonight is just kind of like take those chains off and be like, hey, I think it's okay to talk about politics. Um, obviously, if we can do it in a respectful manner, but uh, but more so not just politics for the sake of politics, politics inside of the Christian realm, especially the evangelical realm. And uh, I... I think I've said it before. I think one of the best things that could happen to Christianity is the evangelical world just crash and burn. I, I still believe that wholeheartedly. Um, I think there is enough Christians out there who aren't evangelicals to pick up the pieces, honestly. I think um, if every evangelical church went under today, I think we could still feed the homeless and take care of widows and children and then rebuild from what's left. But I don't think if the evangelical world just disappeared tomorrow that the world would necessarily miss them, at least yeah. here in the States. Um, we have so many churches 
Um, I saw a statistic today. I think it was a 2019 statistic and I couldn't find anything newer. Um, roughly, uh, I think it was 4,500 churches open each year and 3,000 of them close each year. So silly. Or it might be the opposite. I'm sure it's a ton. I can't remember, but I can't remember if we're losing more churches than we're gaining. Probably. But I I absolutely know we're losing membership. Every generation, like the evangelical world is just, and it's not just the evangelicals, but they're nosediving faster than most, um, call it mainline Christian churches. Well, we're oversaturated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here we we live in a town, 120,000 people, give or take. And uh, I looked today, there's 117 churches. It, it just in our small little town. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it's not super small anymore, but you got to think like not all 117,000 or 120,000 are Christians. Sure. And then not all <laughs> of those people, even the ones that do claim Christians, don't attend church every week. Yeah. So when you really start whittling the numbers down, you start saying, hey, we have this town with 117 Christian I mean, churches in it. They're across the street from each other. Yeah, there's churches on every corner Oh, my here. gosh. And I don't know if that's uh, just where we're at. I don't know if it's a Florida thing. I don't know if it's a Bible Belt or a Southern sure. thing. Um, but where we're at, for sure. There's yeah. you, can't, you can't drive two seconds without seeing a church in our town. Yeah. They're everywhere. <laughs> um, and so I say all that to say I... I think it's good to have this conversation about where the evangelical world is um, in regards to politics, because it's either going to be, you know, I I like to think of things in, in, as far as like the history books, like in 50 to a hundred years, how are we going to view this moment? um, Christian history wise, and and more specifically the evangelical world. I think we're in a spot where it's either going to be the great corrector where the evangelicals are just going to go so far overboard that they have no choice but to just yank back on the reins and really rethink how they do politics and social justice issues and all this other stuff. Or it will be their, um, their, their, the last scream before they die, uh, at least yeah. here in the West. And I'm not, I'm not saying that every single evangelical church is going to go under. What I'm saying is right now, at least in the United States, the evangelicals have a large swath of influence, uh, especially in our political system. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen the st- statistics, but when Trump got elected uh, in 2016, you take away the evangelical vote, he doesn't even get close. So they yeah. they literally handed him the presidency, and yeah. and you could see it. I mean, you could, if you look at Trump pre running for office, he had very little to say about Jesus, God, the Bible, anything. You know, he just, in fact, some people would argue that he was kind of on the opposite end of the aisle as far I'm as sure. like having multiple divorces and having relationships with adult actresses <laughs> and just all the shady stuff that he's yeah. been up to. Uh, as far as being a millionaire for how old is he now? 80 something. He's old. I don't think he's quite 80 yet. I think he's in his upper 70s. I'm a look. But I mean, <laughs> I the guy's been a millionaire, potentially a billionaire, I guess we'll never know, uh, since uh, since he was born. You know, he's born into money. And so... Um, he's 77. 77. I thought he was <laughs> in his upper 70s. Um, you know, that Jesus said it, like, it's very difficult to be a rich person and a good person (laughs) like it's very hard not saying it's impossible but it is difficult and i think when you look at trump pre-running for elections um to me the proof is kind of in the pudding that's who he was that's who he is yeah then 2015 ramps up he comes down his little golden staircase and announces or escalator (laughs) and announces that he's running for presidency and now all of a sudden he's courting the evangelical world Mm -hmm. uh What's the the lady from Without Walls in Tampa, Paula White? Paula White. She was a big advisor of him uh, in his campaign, and I think even after. There's tons of videos of her like praying over him and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Go back pre him running. You you'll never see footage of him dealing with anybody on that respect because sure. he just that he didn't care. And he, in fact, for the majority of Trump's life, he was a liberal. I don't know if he would say he was a Democrat, but he was definitely a liberal. Uh, then he runs, and now he understands that there is a a voting base out there, the evangelicals specifically, that you can get really fired up over a couple issues. And if he hits those hot buttons and plays the part, he can get those votes. Yeah. 
I want to make a judgment about his spirituality and his relationship with Jesus. I will refrain from doing that because I don't feel like that's good for anybody to do. Sure. But I feel like it's not very difficult to kind of just, the proof is in the pudding, right? Yeah, yeah. But I I, I won't try to uh, badmouth this person. I'm just going to say from how I see it, it doesn't look like there was very much Jesus, God, or religion, Christianity in his life up until it was time to run. And then he understood if he played the right part, he could get the evangelical vote. And not only did he get it, I think it was like 80% or more of the evangelical oh, vote sure. went to Trump. Yeah. Um, and it would be one thing if like, if all Democrats were atheist. Or if all Democrats were, you know, I don't know, but <laughs> but uh, Biden is a professed Catholic. Yeah. Obama was a, a, a Christian. I mean, a lot of Christians want to say he was a Muslim, but he went to church like all the time. Um, Bernie Sanders. Not evangelical church, though, baby. No, not They're evangelical church. <laughs> but I, I think that's the point. I think that Trump knew that he could take that world and say manipulate it uh, court it whatever language you want to put to that and that was his in that was his shot i think he had a good shot at winning the primary without that voting base but i think he knew there was a real shot at the presidency with that base i don't know who gave him that information i don't know who told him he could do that but whoever that person was he should give a million dollars to because (laughs) that literally bought him the presidency the evangelical voting block yeah so then we have to look at this thing as a whole so it didn't take long once he announced and once he announced he was running it was kind of a joke like a lot of especially the hardcore republicans um who were running the chris christie's um i'm trying to think who else ran in 2016 against him yeah but a lot of like the more conservative just mainline republicans it was almost like a joke to them. They were like, all right, this guy, uh, Jeb yep. Bush. Yeah, Jeb Bush was Jeb. a big one. Um, they're like, this guy, he's going to come in here. He's going to ruffle some feathers and he's going to get out. All Trump did through the whole primary process is just bully them. That's all he did is just make fun of them, bully them, put them down. And people loved that's, it. I know. And that's what's freaky. Like, why do we? Why do they like a bully? That, Someone that's mean. Right. And like a push, like a power, like just a bulldozer. Right. Uh, well, we'll get to that because I, I'll tell you what they say. But anyway, uh, so but it didn't take very long after Trump started to actually make some waves, and people were like, "Oh, he's in the top ten in the primary. Oh, he's in the top eight now. He's in the top five, and now we're looking at like, is this guy serious? Like, is he really going to make a run of the presidency after all of these establishment? Like, realistically, it probably should have been Jeb Bush that year. Had Trump not sure. entered, it probably Jeb would have been the nominee. He was the, um, he was kind of like the Hillary of the Republican Party. He had paid his dues. He had waited. Yeah, been a long time. His dad had been president. His brother had been president. You know, he he yeah. had the the resume to get there. Could he have beat uh, Hillary? Probably not. Um, but he was next in line, much like yeah. Hillary felt like she was much next in line. And that's why Bernie didn't get the nomination. That's a whole side thing. <laughs> that, that's a mess, too. And the Democrats have a lot of explaining to do as far as the whole Bernie and Hillary thing go. But Jeb was probably next in line. So Trump comes in, he starts making waves, and it didn't take long for like the, that Access Hollywood video to come out where he talks about what you can do to women when you have money. And I yeah. won't repeat what he said, um, but he basically said, if you have money, you can touch them and do anything you want to. And they let you. He said a lot more than that. Um, <laughs> when that came out, I was like, this for sure will be the nail in his coffin. This for sure will take the evangelicals out of the mix for him. Because how? How could how could they say that that is appropriate behavior? And it didn't take very long for the evangelicals to say, oh, well, that was older. It was like a year old or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was before his conversion with God. There's not a conversion moment that anybody can actually point to with Trump. He hasn't said he had one. No religious leader says there was a conversion moment. Right. Um, And I think his character and his actions have been pretty consistent. If there's one thing Trump is, he is consistent. (laughs) He is who he is. And it's the evangelicals who tie themselves in knots 
trying to convince themselves and or others that he's not who he is. Now, once again, I, I don't want this to just be about politics because that's too blah, like whatever. That, that's another podcast, not ours. Go, somebody else has a much better podcast <laughs> yeah, about I'm politics. Sure. But I do think we have an insight to the evangelical world as far as the conservatives go. Um, so they twist themselves in knots to, to, I think their whole thing was, and I could be wrong, but I think their whole thing was, we don't like the establishment. And if I think we're really being honest, I don't think they thought their establishment could win. I don't think they yeah. thought Jeb could win or Chris Christie or whoever else yeah, was yeah. in the mix that year. Um, especially with someone like a Hillary or especially against an Obama. I mean, they got their clocks clean two cycles in a row with Obama. He was a very popular president. Uh, whether you agree with all his policies or disagree, he was a very popular president, especially with young voters. The boomers are starting to die off more and more. Gen X is getting older. The millennials are now becoming the, the majority of the workforce who typically do trend more liberal or progressive. Um, and so I think the Republicans were looking at this saying like, we don't know if we can win with our mainline candidates. Then you have somebody like a Trump who is a bull in a China shop, not just in politics, but just as a human being. And they're like, oh, he's a, uh, what's what's some of the words they use? Like he's he's not an establishment guy. Like he's going to come in and shake it up. And what's the, the he's going to drain the swamp. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that yeah. was his line or if somebody else made that for him. But the yeah, whole like, remember. I'm going to come into government and clean out all the muck and the blah, 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 blah. He ended up hiring and firing more people than I've ever seen. <laughs> like, as far as, like, draining the swamp goes during his presidency, his office was a revolving door for people. And it's like they would work for him, then he would fire them or they would leave, and then they would turn against him. And then it was, it's oh, just mess. this constant cycle of... But I think what might have been attractive to, let's say, the average evangelical was this idea that this guy's going to come in and not do it like it's been done. Sure. I don't like that idea on a political level. And I always think of it like this. Um, you played a little bit of basketball, but I, I think, okay, for me, it's, it's a very simple analogy, at least in my head. So when I played high school basketball, basketball is a very skill-based uh, sport. There's a lot of finesse to it. There's a lot of footwork um, compared to, say, something like uh, a defensive lineman or a linebacker for who plays football. Their job is to spot the quarterback. And yes, they have reads and stuff like that, but it's really to just a boom, just oh, hit man. somebody, right? Like go. I remember when we would play like pickup games or scrimmages in high school and we were a very good basketball team. We had a 20 and two record two years in a row. I remember playing with some of the guys who would like try out for the team when football season was over or whatever, just to see if they could make the basketball team. And they would literally come on the court and just truck people over <laughs> And our coaches and us as players who'd been there for a couple of years, like, dude, this isn't football. This is yeah. basketball. This is a different sport. So to me, I always think of it like that, of politics are like basketball. There's very intricate, detailed moves that these people, love them or hate them, politicians have a very unique skill set um, that make government work for better or for worse. It just works. It is sure. what it is. I always think of Kevin Spacey in House of Cards. <laughs> Horrible person, but knew how to play the game and yeah. got stuff done for better or for worse, got stuff done. Then you look at someone like a Trump who has zero political background, real estate mogul, dad was a millionaire, grown up with a silver spoon in his mouth. And I think people were thinking like, oh, I think it'll be good to put a football player on the court with a bunch of basketball players. I think this will work well. He'll he'll clean it up. And it ended up just like how it ends up when football players play with basketball players. It's a nightmare. Yeah. And people get hurt and people get aggravated and agitated because there is a system. And when somebody comes in and doesn't know how to use that system and use the tools that that system provides you to make things work, it just becomes chaos. Yeah. And then someone like a Trump who seems to me, I've obviously never met the guy, but he seems to me like a pull the trigger first, ask questions later kind of guy. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think of the whole Ukraine scandal with him holding back money, the quid pro quo, you know, they did the whole investigation on him. I don't know this to be true, but I could honestly say 
maybe he had zero ill intent for that whole situation, but he's a football player playing basketball yeah. and he just knows how to hit. That's all he knows how to do. Yeah. He doesn't know how to, you know, do a step back. He doesn't know how to do a step through or a Euro step. All he knows is to hit. And I think a lot of times he gets himself in trouble because he's a hit first kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, why does every other job in the university have to have qualifications and a resume sure. <laughs> like that has experience? And sure. then the president's just like me. Right. I will do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and it really became a popularity contest. If you yeah. think about it, he wasn't hired for his political skills. He no. was he was elected. And I think there are a lot of like transferable skills sure. like that you can transfer from like one thing to another. But th this is not that. Well, I think had he even done like, you know, ran for senator or governor or something like that first, um, got his feet wet, learned how the system works, learned how to play the game a little bit better. I, I would like to say, you know, sh smooth some of those rough edges, but I just don't feel like he's that guy. No. Um, Maybe he would have had a better go at a presidency, but he he was the bull in the china shop. Now, I do think that's why a lot of evangelicals liked him and wanted him in there, because I that's think they well, wanted there's always going to be disdain for uh, for for government. Sure. But why do they want to do it so violently and meanly? Because <laughs> meanly, I do think that there is an argument to be made that that the political system in in our country at least right now and you know maybe for the past hundred or more years is a very slow moving ship you want to turn the ship around it's going to take a long time you years. know making any adjustments is a pretty big course correction and i think that's why presidents like obama were pretty popular because he was able to push some things through pretty quickly um much quicker than Washington is used to doing things, uh, such as gay marriage and the Affordable Care Act and, and things like that. Uh, was he a perfect president? Absolutely not. But I think that's why he was popular with a lot of progressives, because he was able to get some things done. Um, so I think for the evangelicals, they look at Trump and they say, man, this guy can come in here. He's he's big. He's he's our big I don't want to say protector, but he's he's going to walk up to Joe Biden and Hillary and he's going to just punch him in the face and we're going to get things done in Washington and we'll finally have somebody there who will be a voice for us, the evangelicals. I think that's truly how they thought. Um, will I leave room for, not conspiracy theory, but will I leave room for shady backdoor Senator Palpatine type people behind <laughs> Trump pulling strings. Sure. Always. Um, I'm sure there are people with religious connections and affiliations who knew he wasn't going to be a good guy when he got into office, but just like he was using them to get elected, they may have been using him to get some things pushed through sure. such as stacking the Supreme court. Sure. That was a big, very big win for conservatives. And, yeah, overturn Roe v. Williams. Right. That was a very big win for conservatives. Well, I think it was a short-term win, long-term big loss, and we'll get into that later. But yeah. um, so that's that's the way I perceive how the evangelicals looked at him as far as like, okay, maybe he's got rough edges. Okay, he did say what he did say on the Access Hollywood tape. And yes, he's been married and divorced like three times. And he's got a history with adult film stars and a bunch of other stuff. Um, but maybe he's turned a new leaf. Maybe now that the evangelicals are courting him and vice versa, maybe God will show up. And I heard that argument multiple times, not just on a local level, but from pastors on TV and, and, and stuff like that. People saying like, oh, well... Because he's God's candidate, God will take his heart and they it'll shape it. Well, here we are all these years later. And once again, I give Trump credit. He is consistent. He is who he is. And I think the 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 old, you know, concept of old dog new tricks might just fare well in this case. You know, he's 77. Is he really gonna change? Sure. You know, is I think people were expecting to have this like road to damascus is experience where like somehow he'd become president and like jesus would just show up in his bedroom one night <laughs> and trump would just become this whole different person and obviously we haven't seen that he's still the bull in the china shop he was when he first ran um love him or hate him it is who he is um and i heard somebody i think it was actually nikki haley said the other day like he's his own worst enemy a lot of times <laughs> like he gets himself into a lot of hot water just because he's a shoot first kind of guy yeah. and he d doesn't care what people think 
love it or hate it, he doesn't care. You know, he's going to do and say whatever he wants to do. And so I think maybe the evangelicals um, got excited about having someone, quote unquote, powerful on their side. What I don't think they foresaw coming, and, and I don't think any of us really did, is the amount of chaos that would create in a span of four years. And not only chaos, but just massive division um, and just really unsettling and uncertainty and like, where is our country going? I mean, Trump was in legal battles almost his whole time in his presidency, not for the stuff he's in now, uh, but just with the whole Ukraine thing and then the impeachments and like, it was just a nightmare since it started. I don't think it ever ran smoothly. It was just a knockdown drag out fight the entire time. Um, And I think most of that has to do with because he didn't know how to play the game and he wasn't really interested in playing the game. He just wanted to be Trump and bulldoze. And that only takes you so far in politics. So love him or hate him, Biden, he knows how to play the game. He's been in politics. Oh, my God. What, since his 20s or something? Eternity. 50 years, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. So love him or hate him, like his policies, hate his policies. The guy knows how to play the game, much like a Mitch McConnell or a Mitt Romney, or like just yeah. pick all these guys who've yeah, yeah. just been in the uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. These people have just been playing the game for so long. Yeah. Love them or hate them, they are good at the game. Okay. Um, and I think evangelicals were hoping if we get somebody who's outside of that whole racket, you know, because government doesn't work and they're not for us and um, let's get somebody in there who will really shake things up. I just don't think they understood what they were really asking for. Sure. You know, it's like a coach saying, well, we need somebody more aggressive on our basketball team to get rebounds. So I'm going to bring that linebacker in. And now the guy's filing out every game and you're losing games because, you know, like you just I don't think they thought it through how messy it would actually be bringing a guy like this in. Sure. I'm also not sure that he actually holds the same values that they hold. I think that he courts them just like he they courted him and i think he'll say what he needs to say to maintain their loyalty but at the end of the day do i actually think trump cares about abortion rights or i mean uh a pro-life agenda i don't (laughs) i don't think he cares one bit at all um but he'll play the game to appease the evangelicals sure um and, and it's not just the Roe v. Wade and things like that, but I think it's it's a bunch of different things that he'll just say, yeah, whatever, I'll go with it as long as I get their vote, because then I get to be whoever I want to be outside of that, and they will back me. And they have. Um, I think as I think the number I heard on NPR the other day was that he has still like an 70 or 80% approval rating among evangelicals today. He's like got a lot of like indictments Mm -hmm. against him right now uh some political you know the january 6th and stuff like that um some more political as far as like trying to overturn the election but then just some like basic civil and criminal suits that he has against him um and yet the evangelicals are still right there beside him and i'm i'm starting to wonder what they think they're getting out of this deal because they've got the Roe v. Wade, right? which I actually think will be the a big loss for them in the long run. Because once again, uh, not talking too much politics, just staying on the evangelical realm, love it or hate it, Roe v. Wade, overturning Roe v. Wade was highly unpopular. About three-fourths yeah. of the country, religious or not religious, think there should be some, uh, women should have some sort of autonomy over their bodies. Yeah. Um, that's a spectrum. Obviously, some people would say, oh, it's here. Some people would say there. But sure. most people agree that it shouldn't be the government's choice to just blanket make that you know choice for them um, or even the states for that matter. Uh, so even though he was able to stack the Supreme Court and get Roe v. Wade overturned, I think long term it's going to hurt the Republican Party because it's a very unpopular thing to do. Um, and I had even heard... Um, some like inside baseball a couple of years ago, it might've even been before Trump got elected or maybe right in the beginning of his presidency, there was long-term um, Republicans, establishment Republicans 
who said they hoped Roe v. Wade never got overturned because they were afraid of the repercussions long term. They said they thought it would kill their party. So even though they had uh, the presidency, like under George W. Bush, uh, and had the political power to make those moves, they never did it because they were afraid that it was going to ruin them in the long run because they did understand it was a very unpopular thing um, to legislate that. Yeah. So I do think long term that will end up hurting the the Republican, the conservative uh, cause and by extension, the evangelical cause. And that's a whole nother topic, the whole Roe v. Wade and abortion rights. And that's a whole other thing. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to get caught in the weeds on that. But that that is one of the hot button topics. So mm-hmm. when I think about it, OK, so the evangelicals got Trump elected the first time. He was able to stack the Supreme Court. He was able to get the Roe v. Wade overturned. That was wow. the big that was like the biggest thing, right? Yeah, but, For evangelicals, the yeah. biggest thing was abortion. That was like their biggest yeah. thing that they their their biggest platform. Yeah, I mean, that didn't happen while he was president. The Roe v. Wade. Well, it happened because he was president, because he was able to stack the Supreme Court. Um, And once the Supreme, like the president can't touch that. So it didn't matter. Like once he stacked the conservative judges there, there was no turning back. And so, but my question now is, okay, so evangelicals, you got that. You got the win you had been looking for. What does Trump have to offer you now? As far as not just a political like, oh, conservative taxes, that that kind of I'm talking about on a Christian level, on an evangelical level, if your biggest platform was abortion and Roe v. Wade, well, you got that. So now my question is, what do you need a bully in the White House again for? What's the next thing? And I think their answers are a lot more political in nature this time than they are uh, faith based. You'll hear a lot about immigration. You'll hear a lot about inflation. You know, that's that's a lot of the conservative talking points right now. But immigration probably being the biggest one. Sure. But that's not a faith issue. Yeah. Right. That that's that is a political issue versus Roe v. Wade. That was a faith issue turned to politics. They they believed it was murder. That's against their religion. That's against their faith. It was a moral issue that they turned political. Things like immigration aren't a moral issue. They are a political issue. Um. They're not saying, well, the Bible says they're just saying we don't want these people here. They're draining our economy. They're criminals, like whatever the stuff they say. Yeah. But you see what I'm saying? Like, so now that the biggest issue on the agenda for the for the evangelicals has been handled, what is it that they're looking to accomplish with someone like a Trump? I don't know the answer to that. And and I'd be really interested to find out what that is, because my guess is, like I said, it's more political than it is faith based now. Yeah. So. Why continue to court someone who, uh, once again, Nikki Haley said at the last uh, debate, uh, the primary debate, she said, chaos follows this guy around. Chaos just follows Trump around. He is his own worst enemy. He lights all these fires and then gets mad when they burn him, you know, and there's a lot of truth to that. Now, I know she's trying to beat him in the primary, but I, I do think there's a lot of truth to what she was saying. And so from an evangelical level, I'm like, what? are we getting here what is the point and i, I can't honestly answer that question. i don't know i have no idea and so but even further than that okay so if if i think it's since the 60s or the 70s i can't remember when roe v wade was like established but i think it was in the 60s no, maybe the remember. 70s um somebody more educated than me can answer that question um but since that moment the evangelicals and the conservative uh, political agenda has been to overturn it. Okay, now it's overturned. Now what? Even if it's not Trump, let's just say it's Nikki Haley. Let's just say it's uh, who else is uh, up there with uh, DeSantis. Uh, let's just say it's one of those people, more more establishment uh, conservative. If those, if the next conservative that gets uh, elected or put into that position to be the president. Because of the evangelical vote, my question is, what are the evangelicals looking for now? I don't know what that is. And it, like I said, it seems to be more political in nature than it is faith-based because they got their golden goose. They got Roe v. Wade. That's what they wanted. Um, so I know we kind of got in the weeds a little bit like about the politics, but I do think it's interesting to kind of put this stuff under a microscope and say, what is it that they're actually looking for? Because uh, in the video I posted today, I said it's 2024, it's an election year, get ready for the evangelical ramp up. 
So I'm interested to see what the ramp up looks like. What's the thing they're going to push? Sure. You know, and I think I may have mentioned it on our pad- podcast before, maybe a while ago, but one of my biggest fears about the conservative evangelical agenda is where does it end? I, and I'll make a smaller video about this in the next couple of days, but um, I think there's two ways to be a Christian. And I know being a Christian is on a very large spectrum, but if I had to simplify it, there's two ways. The first way I think is the correct way, which is you have your faith. You have a text, your Bible, you have a community, your church, you have principles and morals that all align and share within that group, right? Then you take all of that, the teachings, the scripture, the community, you take all of that and it becomes introspective and you say, these are the principles and the faith in which I want to live my life by and maybe me and my spouse and maybe Mm -hmm. our immediate family. And it becomes your faith bubble that guides you and your family until your kids are old enough to make their own choices. Um, And I think that's the proper way to handle religion and faith. I think the other way, the improper way is you have all the same tools. You have um, your scriptures, you have your community, you have your faith. But what you do is you take all that information and now you're weaponizing it and pushing it out into the world and saying, now, because I believe this, you have to believe this. And even if you're not going to believe it, you have to abide by these rules because my God, my Bible, my pastor, my church says so. Mm-hmm. That's the wrong way to do religion. Personally, yeah. that's what I believe. I think a lot of evangelicals would disagree with me on that point. I think they do believe it is their job as evangelicals to to push back the darkness. Yeah. I don't think that's the way to do it. Jesus didn't lay out the roadmap like that. He yeah. wasn't there to be this political uh, strongman to push people into following any particular laws. In fact, Jesus was known for breaking quite <laughs> a few of those laws, the Sabbath uh, and other things. He didn't play that game. Mm-hmm. And so it is very interesting to me when I see the evangelicals weaponizing their faith, their religion to push not only the political agenda, but their social agenda. So yeah. to go back, I'm concerned, one of my biggest concerns, and and I'm absolutely, I thought about today, I'm going to name this episode, why I probably will never vote Republican again. <laughs> and I'm just going to put probably in parentheses, because I'm pretty sure I'll never vote Republican <laughs> again, but I guess anything could happen. <laughs> so I'll say possible. probably. Um, one of my biggest fears from the evangelical voting base is where does it end? And I don't know if people think this all the way through. So 10 years ago, we might've been like, they're never going to be able to push Roe v. Wade. They're never going to get that through. Well, it happened. We, they stacked the Supreme court. It's flipped. It's now to the States. It's causing all kinds of chaos. There's lawsuits all over the place. It's messy. We knew it was going to be messy and I don't think it's over. I think we're going to be fighting this battle for a couple of years. Um, And who knows, you know, when a Supreme court justice gets replaced or whatever, if it gets flipped back, we don't know. Yeah. But it's going to be messy until, I don't know. It's just messy. So they got that. So then I begin going down the laundry list of things that the evangelicals are against. Um, the next thing that comes to mind is gay marriage, right? It was an outrage when Obama legalized gay marriage in, I don't remember what year, but mid-2000s. I guess yeah. it would have been like 2008, 2009, 2010. I was thinking even 12. I'm not sure. Or yeah, maybe even 12. I can't remember which uh, presidency or which yeah, term. term. Yeah. yeah. But I just remember it was a huge deal. Like, oh man, the world's ending. I rem- I was in an evangelical church at that time pastoring and it was like, oh man, the world's ending. <laughs> um, my two cents, I remember when that happened, I remember telling someone close to me, I'm glad it happened so we can just shut up about it. <laughs> Whether you agree with gay marriage or not, now we can just shut up. They're going to get married. Ain't nothing you could do about it. <laughs> right. Cry in your pillow tonight. Put your big boy pants on and go about your life. Right. I was happy it happened if for no other reasons. So they would just shut up about it. But so I think now if the evangelicals, let's say they got the presidency this next term, they get both houses, they got all the power to wield. What would they do with it if there was no limits to the evangelical conservative political machine? What would they do with it? This is what scares me. 
I think going back to Roe v. Wade, I think every state would absolutely ban it. You wouldn't be able to get an abortion anywhere in the country. I think that's that's the logical progression if the evangelicals have their way, right? They just flat out, blue state, red state, don't matter, cannot have an abortion in this country, which would be a nightmare. It would be a mess. It would just mm-hmm. be it would just be a complete mess with everything that's happening. That would be the first thing. Then I go back to gay marriage. I think they would I think I don't I think they would delegitimize it, obviously. But then I wonder, would they criminalize it? I hope not. <laughs> I think their faith would give them uh their interpretation of their faith, I think, would give them justification to do it, to criminalize it. Okay, so then we have that. So gay marriage, boom. Now that's gone. Anybody who has different gender affiliations, transgender, anything like that, that would be delegitimized yeah. and maybe mm, even criminalized. Sure. Right? We're not talking about just like, oh, they don't like us. We're talking about if we find out you're gay, if we find out you're trans, there could be legal repercussions. That's a whole nother world. Like we don't know what that world looks like, but I wonder, is that what the evangelicals want? Cause that seems to line up with where they believe their faith is. Okay. So let's keep going down the list. Then we have uh, substance. Let's go marijuana first. Okay. Marijuana is increasingly becoming more and more popular. It's becoming more uh, regulated state by state, uh, decriminalized, all that stuff. I don't think evangelicals like marijuana very much. So I think they would go to criminalize that. Uh, And then what? Obviously, all the other drugs would stay criminalized. The the psychedelics, the heroin, cocaine, all that stuff. That's a no-brainer. But then do we go back to prohibition? (laughs) Do we get rid of alcohol? I mean, there's there's Republicans that got to know that that's a bad idea. All of this is a bad idea. <laughs> no, I know. But I'm saying like at some point, I feel like no matter what side of the line, you've got to know that something's a bad idea. Well, history would tell us otherwise because they did it once. Prohibition has already yeah, happened. Yeah. I mean, I guess it just depends who has the power and who they're following. And it was a nightmare. And prohibition was pushed by the moral conservative right. Right. It's evil. Now, dude, alcohol destroys lives. I completely agree. But I also don't think you should be taking choice away from people. If a grown, if we want to have a glass of wine at dinner tonight, that should absolutely be our choice. And the government should have zero say in that. That's not what prohibition said. (laughs) And prohibition was propagated by the moral conservative Republicans, the right. And so I'm just going down the laundry list. If the evangelicals had their way, would abortion be completely legal in this country? Would uh, marijuana and all substances, including alcohol, be illegal? Would gay marriage, being gay, transgender, would all of that become illegal and criminalized? Uh, and I think we can keep going down the list. Would any type of immigration become illegal? Do we want no one in this country unless they're doctors or, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. I really do wonder sometimes how far this would go. If, yeah. if granted absolute power, how far would that go? Then, and, and here's where I think uh, this would cause a lot of people to pause. But I wonder, would we then, the evangelicals with absolute power, because remember, everything they're doing is based on the Bible, their morals, their principles, their interpretation of the text, right? That's why they would make all these things illegal and criminal. Would it then become illegal to not be a Christian? Could you legally be an atheist? Yeah. Could you legally be a Muslim, a Scientologist, a Mormon? <laughs> you know, like these are all things that evangelicals openly detest. So I'm sure. wondering if they had absolute power, if we just said go, whatever you guys want to do, would these things start to fall? I want to know how far they would go. <laughs> Obviously, (laughs) well, I do because I think it's important that we all know where we're headed. If if this is truly because I wonder if if you had, say, a Trump or DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Chris Christie or a Jeb Bush, any just pick your Republican, whoever the president's going to be or the Republican nominee is going to be for the next two, three terms. 
if we put that person on a platform, like in a debate setting, a town hall setting, and we asked them that question and they gave us a checklist, yes, we are going to make sure abortion is illegal everywhere in this country. Yes, we are going to make sure that uh, there are no gay rights. There are no trans rights. In fact, it's going to be criminal to do those things. We are going to make sure uh, that substances, including alcohol, will be banned. If they went down that checklist, I just wonder how many evangelicals would still be with them at the end of that checklist. Where's the evangelical mm -hmm. line? Yeah. Yeah.